0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Who was Yogi Berra? What are yogiisms? And how does yogi's legacy live on today? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornasek. <laughs> Let me set the scene. You're in a packed stadium, drinking a beer or a soda. It's the bottom of the ninth inning, and your favorite catcher is positioned at home plate ready to go. Welcome to baseball season. With the 2023 MLB season underway, what better opportunity to celebrate other than honoring a legend on the field Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra was a remarkable catcher, hitter, manager, and then coach. He truly dominated the sport. But off the field, his life and legacy are deserving of all the celebration as well. So when did Yogi get involved with baseball? How did he influence the sport? And what lessons can we learn from his life? Here to talk me through all of this is sports journalist and Yogi's granddaughter, Lindsay Berra. Lindsay, what's going on? Hi, Abby. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to chat with you. I could not be more excited to have you on the podcast. First of all, you're coming on because you guys have a movie coming out called It Ain't Over. It'll air in theaters, you said, May, right?
1: Yeah, it's going to be starting in theaters on May the 12th in Los Angeles and the tri-state area. And then they'll be adding new theaters each week after that throughout May and June until we get to a full national release. And I'm super excited for everybody to be able to see this movie about the life of my really amazing grandpa Yogi.
0: As am I, because I was lucky enough to somehow finagle a link out of you guys, and I got a little preview of this, and it is truly heartwarming. I want to start where the movie begins, and I won't give anything away. Don't worry. But the 2015 All-Star Game, where fans selected the greatest living players. Your grandfather was not included, and something that... Uh, it was such an awesome moment was you turn to him and you basically ask why he isn't out there. So, Lindsay, tell me a bit about your relationship with your grandfather. So
1: it's funny for me when people ask that, like my relationship with my grandfather was really a, a I mean, I guess I would call it. It's the only really grandpa, granddaughter I had in my you know, my my grandfather on my other side too but very similar relationships with both of my grandfathers and they were mentors for me grandpa was obviously super into sports and i knew that he was a i don't know quote unquote famous person probably by the time i was like i don't know 10 i understood that he was there was something off about grandpa or different about grandpa but he was just such a grandpa to me playing wiffle ball in the yard and he would like grill hot dogs on the porch and he would always burn them and that was like an accident but it became the only way Mm. that i would eat hot dogs um You know, he was traveling a lot when I was a kid, uh, so we didn't get to come to a lot of my like little league games and things that happened during the baseball season. But he was always at all of my ice hockey games or basketball games. He was so around in the winter. And I really spent a ton of time with both him and my grandmother growing up. To the point where they were really like a second set of parents to me. Um, And then I was so lucky to have them for such a large portion of my life. A lot of people lose their grandparents when they're young kids. But I had my grandmother until I was 36 and my grandfather until I was like 38, I believe. And I got to have these real adult relationships even friendships with them that not a lot of people get to have and that was such a privilege because I always say to folks my grandfather would have been a special human being if he had never set foot on a baseball field and it was just it was really a, a privilege and a treat to get to spend so much time with him.
0: I mean, what an amazing thing to talk about him as a human being because he's athletes. It's easy to say he played 19 seasons in MLB, all but the last one for the Yankees. He was an eight time All-Star, won 10 World Series championships. Talk about accolades. But I think a better accolade is talking about the all time greats as people. And it seems like he was just a truly incredible person.
1: Yeah. I always say that as good as he was on the baseball field, he was a better human being. And he was absolutely the best at what he did for a living without ever thinking he was better than anyone else. The humility was just tremendous. He treated everybody he met the same way. It didn't matter if it was like his dry cleaner or a Mm -hmm. waiter in a restaurant or literally the president of the United States. And, you know, I, I think... Grandpa's a very he's very emblematic of a lot of those members of what we all call the greatest generation. You know, he was a first generation Italian immigrant. He grew up very poor on the hill in St. Louis, Missouri, and, you know, was had to quit school in the eighth grade to help his family put food on the table. He had to go to work. Um, He was so proud of of being an American. And his parents were so proud to be Americans that he volunteered to join the Navy during World War II before he even had a chance to get drafted. And he ended up in the D-Day invasion. He was a machine gunner on an LCSS uh, providing cover fire for our troops going ashore during the D-Day invasion. And, I mean, that's an incredible thing, uh, the fact that he was able to come home when when so many others didn't. Obviously, he was very lucky. Um, But I think he brought that sense of gratitude for being able to come back from World War II when so many others didn't. You know, it gave him a lot of perspective um, in his baseball career. I think he felt very lucky to be able to essentially play a kid's game for a living mm-hmm. for the rest of his life when so many other guys didn't have a chance to live out the rest of their lives. And you know, people talk about grandpa as one of the greatest clutch hitters in the history of baseball. And I think his time in the war actually probably contributed to that as well, because when you've actually faced a life and death situation, the bottom of the ninth is is not that. Mm-hmm. And I think he was able to kind of bring that perspective. But he was also just such a, a, a wonderful family man. He and my grandparents had the most adorable relationship. They were married for 65 years and they were like literally gaga for each other their mm-hmm. entire lives. And it was very, very sweet to see. But yeah, he just he really was just a, a, a special human being.
0: Yes. Such an inspiring story that your grandfather lived through D-Day, fought in the battles on both Utah and Omaha beaches. Did he ever describe what his time in World War II was like?
1: No, I I would say hardcore. No, he didn't Mm -hmm. talk about it very much at all. Like like a lot of of men who were there. Um, The only times he ever sort of started reminiscing Um, my dad has a story about after they watched Saving Private Ryan and my grandfather started to say a few things and I was with him when we watched the first episode of Band of Brothers and he just started to talk about like kind of how loud it was and and he he definitely had these memories of those big 88 guns that the Germans had up on the hills there because I do remember, um, we were at an event at the Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center, my grandfather's museum in New Jersey, uh, and the Navy was there and they were showing a PBS documentary that they had found some footage of D-Day that had never before been seen. And my grandfather at the time, his dementia was kind of getting bad, so he was always a little bit kind of in, a, in and out of it. And we were watching this film and those guns were going off. And I I thought he had kind of fallen asleep. So I just went down and kind of tapped him on the arm. And he was literally sitting there and he was making this whistling noise like. And it was the noise that the 88 guns had made. And he had literally gone there in his mind. So even though he didn't talk about it a lot, I don't think he ever forgot it.
0: Wow. I mean, once you experience something like that, something I'm sure that is tough to talk about, and he was so brave. Can you describe the story behind his Purple Heart Award?
1: So it's actually funny that you asked. This has been a, a sticky point for me. Grandpa didn't actually get his Purple Heart, he was hit by either a bullet or a piece of shrapnel. And we're not actually sure if it was during the D Day invasion or later on during the invasion of southern France. But He declined to fill out the paperwork to Ah. get his purple heart because he didn't want his mother to get a telegram and worry that he had been hurt, which is very typical grandpa, always worried about everybody else. And, you know, so he is discharged from the Navy and doesn't ever really think about it again. Right. And then I started to try to get his purple heart, um, you know, shortly before he passed away. And you need to present the Navy with grandpa's um, discharge papers, the full, with his full medical records, it's called a DD-214, because you have to be able to prove that he was wounded um, to get him the Purple Heart, right? And a couple crazy things happened. So there was a fire in the National Archives in 1973 in St. Louis, and they claim that all of those Navy records were burned. Um, some other National Archives people in Maryland told me they weren't, but they couldn't find them. And then Maryland actually houses all the Purple Heart cards for every war, I think, since World War One, for all branches of the service, except the only ones they couldn't find were US Navy, World War II, oh. Eight, See, you got to be kidding me. Those are the only ones that are missing. And I, I've gone through every avenue. And the literally the, the last communication with the Navy was that my only chance to get Grandpa's Purple Heart was to find a witness to the event. Now, he was on a rocket boat in 1944 with six fellas who are now all over 100 years old. And the Navy told me to try to find them on social media. So <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure they're all going to be on Instagram. So. <laughs> anyone's listening to this and happened to see grandpa get shot or hit with a piece of shrapnel in 1944, please reach out. <laughs>
0: well, if you hear if, if that happens, you got to let me know because, you know, <laughs> all right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. The purpose of my question about his Purple Heart Award was that I wanted you to tell that story because he seems, just like you said, someone who thinks about others before he thinks about himself. And you said something earlier, too, that stuck with me, that once he went through those times in war, the bottom of the ninth didn't seem so bad. No matter what the game looked like at the time, what stories did he share about his time as a player and as a manager? So it's
1: similar to like what I just said. He he only cared about other people. If you wanted to talk to grandpa about something that he personally did, you had to ask him a super pointed question like, you know, tell me about – the two home run game in you know this World Series, or or what? Tell me about the 1950 season when you only struck out 12 times. Like what you had, you had to ask him a, a very specific question because he always preferred to talk about team accomplishments. He would love to tell you about what Mickey Mantle did, or what Roger Maris did, or watching Joe DiMaggio play the outfield, or how they won five World Series in a row. He was really proud of that. Or he would tell you about Don Larson's perfect game. He was always about promoting. Other people's accomplishments over uh, his own, and I think a lot of the guys, you know, when he want, went into managing, um, he coached with the Yankees, he coached with the Mets, and so many of those folks are still friends with my family. Um, those guys all kind of became like, um, you know, like honorary sons to my to my grandfather, and he protected them and 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 thought of them like that. So he was really just all about. Other people's success and helping other people to to be their best. And he really just had so much fun in baseball. And, you know, he would just talk about the good times they had and, and, you know, laughing and and Mm. being with his buddies, basically.
0: Grandpa Yogi is a legend. You know this. How do you think he became so skilled in baseball? What was the process at that time like of entering the major league? So. Grandpa
1: Yogi would tell you that all three of his older brothers were better baseball players than he was. And they had to, they were working to help support the family. And when it got down to grandpa Yogi, the the three of them kind of ganged up on my great grandfather, Pietro and kind of bullied him into letting grandpa play baseball because they thought one of them should have a chance to make the big leagues. And his brothers decided to switch him around. He was a natural right-hander. They turned him into a lefty because they thought he'd have a better chance at mm-hmm. making the big leagues. So the first thing that made him good was having three very supportive and invested older brothers who literally went to bat for him with his his father. Um,
0: then, I see what you did there.
1: Yeah. Right? <laughs> when he got to the big leagues, he would also tell you that he wasn't a very good catcher. And the Yankees had a, a fantastic catcher, Bill Dickey, at the time. And Grandpa, he one of his yogisms is um, when talking about Bill Dickey, he said he learned me all of his experience. And basically, Bill Dickey was just a relentless. Uh, mentor for grandpa um, in the movie, Tony Kubek, who was a third baseman at the time, tells stories about Bill Dickey putting grandpa at the backstop and Bill standing at the plate with a bat and just hitting line drives at grandpa in his catcher's gear where grandpa had to just, you know, stop and block the ball. And he said he wasn't a very good catcher until Bill Dickey spent all that that time with him. So that's another thing that made him a good player. Um, and, and some of those things, you know, that the way people talk about grandpa, he was a tremendous bad ball hitter. He would tell you that none of the balls, none of those pitches looked bad to him. If he could see it, he could hit it. He would say, and he just had these really big, strong hands. He had this like very thick kind of barrel like upper body. He was super, super strong. He swung an enormous bat, a 34 inch, 35 ounce bat. Nowadays, guys like Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, who are a foot taller and a hundred pounds heavier than grandpa, only use like 31, 32 ounce bats. Mm -hmm. But even with that massive bat and only being five foot eight and 190 pounds, he was able to move that bat through the strike zone and put the barrel of the bat on the ball, no matter where it was. And when you hear guys Now who saw grandpa play like the Joe Maddens and Willie Randolph's of the world, they'd really talk about how he was able to control the barrel of the bat and just put wood on the ball, you know, no matter where it was and get these timely hits. So that was another thing that made him really good. I think he had a great ability to elevate the level of a pitcher. You know, Grandpa was great at figuring out what kind of stuff a guy had on a given day. And if he didn't have his best pitches, helping him to get outs with his secondary pitches. He, He just was a really intelligent, intelligent player. And he also was kind of a savant where he was able to keep a lot of that information that guys get from comu- computers today about what matchups work and what a certain pitcher's pitches can do against a certain hitter's strength and weaknesses, Grandpa would have that all in his head. Even later in his life, when his dementia was getting bad, you could ask him about like the lineup of the Detroit Tigers in 1953, and he could tell you each batter what their strengths and weaknesses were and what pitches you had to throw to what locations to get them out. He remembered. Oh, my
0: goodness. Unbelievable. That is really unbelievable. And when you reach a certain level of athletic prowess, it is pretty amazing to hear the recount of what the situation was like. It seems like he was so good at putting himself back into that moment. My mind goes to what you were saying about his upbringing on the Hill, his family's immigration story. Do you think any of that played a role in making him the great player that he was, especially given the fact that he had three older brothers?
1: I do. I, and I think it also goes back to a little bit of what I said about the war. You know, we talk about nowadays of practicing gratitude and, and, and having to be conscious of being thankful for what you have. And I think those situations, Grandpa's upbringing on the Hill— and his three older brothers sacrificing for him to be able to get into the big leagues his experience in the war and coming home when a lot of others didn't i I don't think grandpa had to practice gratitude i think his life was gratitude Mm -hmm. because at one wrong turn or one different situation you know if his 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 brothers didn't do what they did for him he wouldn't have been in the big leagues and he would have had to get a normal job like everybody else right Mm -hmm. and i think he knew how lucky he was to be there and understood that baseball was something fun to do for a living. He loved playing. He loved to talk about hitting. He had so much fun at, at the plate. And, and you know, it's like literally going to the park every day and playing with your friends. And that was what he did for his job as a player and for like four decades afterwards as a manager. And I don't think that there was a second that he didn't approach that with this just profound sense of of gratitude for the chance that he'd been given. And when you look at things like that and it's truly fun for you every day, it's not really a job. And and that's where when you when you approach your your life and your day and your daily tasks with that kind of joy, that's when like the greatness kind of comes easy, you know?
0: Right. You know, you worked as a sports journalist for 20 plus years. If you were writing something about your grandfather, pretend like you are not related to him. What do you think his legacy is? Um,
1: I think grandpa's legacy is more in the little things. Like, again, I always say as great as he was as a player, he was a better human being. And just what you saw was what you got with grandpa and he treated people with just such respect and kindness and compassion and there were so many folks when he passed away who who messaged or reached out to tell me about the one time he met grandpa in a parking garage you know in the city and he stopped and talked to him for 10 minutes and in that moment grandpa made him feel like he was the most important person Mm -hmm. on the planet right he was very able to do that with normal people and with, like, other athletes as well. Grandpa met Jackie Robinson in 1946. They had both served in World War II. Grandpa was playing for the um, the Newark Bears, uh, as, which was the Yankees minor league organization. And Jackie was playing for the Montreal Royals, and they met in the postseason there. And Grandpa had served with African-American soldiers, and he knew the challenges that were going to be facing Jackie, as good of a player as Jackie was, he, Grandpa knew the challenges that Jackie being Black were going to give him in the big leagues. And he made a point to befriend Jackie. And when Jackie comes into the the big leagues, to let people see him talking to Jackie like he was cool with this because he was able to empathize and, and realize Jackie's situation and he wanted to help. And in 1947, you know, there were not, you know, not every white person was doing that. And I think that's what grandpa's legacy is, like his ability to to look at people and, you know, see them for who they are and treat them just with dignity and respect and kindness and compassion that resonates with folks long after he's gone.
0: Yeah, it seems like he was such a humble guy. So I don't even know if you can answer this question, but is there an accomplishment that he was most proud of?
1: Um. I'll say two things. So he has 10 World Series rings and at my grandpa's museum, I always tell the little kids that you can't wear 10 World Series rings all at once because that would be tacky. (laughs) So uh, grandpa only ever wore one ring and it was the ring from 1953. And that was special to him because the Yankees won the World Series in 1949, 50, 51, 52, and 53. And it was the first and only time teams have won five World Series in a row. And that was a tremendous team accomplishment. And he was very proud of that. Um, and then there's this other story I like to tell. I, I was at a um a charity dinner with him in when I was in high school, I was like 15 maybe and they go around the room and they introduce each celebrity at at each table and they say three-time mvp winner 18-time all-star 10-time world series champion and grandpa stands up and gives his little wave and then he sits down and he backhands me he yeah. had this way of doing that when he you wanted your attention and he says I said what he goes lince how come no one ever mentions that i managed the 1974 All-Star Game. And I said, because no one cares. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> you know, they you, they just said all these nice things about you, and that's what you're worried about. But he had brought the Mets to the World Series in 1973. They won the National League pennant. He was only the second manager in, in uh, baseball history to bring teams from both leagues to the World Series. It's another team accomplishment that he was tremendously proud of. And... Because he brought them to the World Series in 73, that gave him the right to manage the 74 All-Star Game. And he wanted people to remember that he brought these Mets who were literally, statistically, mostly out of it that summer. This was where the famous it ain't over till it's over quote came from. He took that team out of the basement and brought them to the World Series. And that was something he wanted people to remember. So those are two things that come to mind, but I don't know what he would say if you asked him.
0: All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. Well, speaking of It Ain't Over Till It's Over, can you tell me a little bit about this film that you made?
1: The movie, um, we started filming it, uh, God, in June of 2019. And we had to stop for, you know, a year and a half for COVID. So there were definitely some challenges. Um, We tried so hard to get as many people interviewed as possible who had actually seen Grandpa play or who actually played with Grandpa. My number one priority was to get Vin Scully because he was the announcer for the Dodgers. He actually called the 1956 World Series perfect game. He saw Grandpa play for almost his entire career. And at the time we started filming, Vin was like 92 years old, not a young man, right? So he was the first person we interviewed, and I'm so thrilled to have Vin in the movie we have a lot of other folks who saw grandpa play or played with grandpa his teammates bobby richardson tony kubek uh, ralph terry who has since passed away he- uh, hector lopez has since uh, passed away um we got audrey garagiola the the widow of grandpa's best friend joe garagiola who grew up across the street from him uh, on the Hill in St. Louis, and also won a World Series with the Cardinals. Um, we have a lot of, of more current Yankees, like, you know, Derek Jeter is is in the movie. There's folks like Billy Crystal in the movie who just grew up being fans of, of Grandpa. So there's a lot of different perspectives on Grandpa. And then our director, Sean Mullen, is just wonderful. And he himself was a, was a veteran. He was in the Army. He went to West Point. And I think he had a great appreciation for Grandpa's back story so it's just kind of wonderful to have have him involved and you know our producers were all just super super supportive and i i I just i can't wait for this to Mm. finally come out but the movie i will also add it is not just a baseball movie obviously we want people to remember what a great player grandpa was but it's also about him as an immigrant as a veteran as a family man um it, it talks about a little bit about my uncle dale's drug addiction and recovery so if you can't identify with all of those things in the movie i'm not sure I <laughs> really something for everyone in this film
0: it's interesting because he had such a layered story. You've described so many aspects of his life that are truly elite, just as elite as his baseball abilities. So when people ask you, who is Yogi Berra? What do you say?
1: Oh <laughs> god, it's so hard. Um I mean, I'm like I would I would first just say, "Oh, he's my grandpa," right? Mm-hmm. Like because I look at him with the same kind of adoration as every other little girl looks at their their grandpa. But When I step back at it, he's still Yogi Berra is someone who still, even though he's been gone for eight years, inspires me to do better every day at all the things, you know, whether it's, you know, my workout in the morning or just being nice to people or doing the right thing. You know, he's always in the back of my head as as such a stand-up human being. And when you want to know how to live your life, you can think about Hey, what would, what would grandpa do? So he's, he's the grandpa that, you know, I love to death as, as a little kid, you know, playing wiffle ball in the yard, but he's also this person who just set this really high bar that I really try every day to live up to. Mm.
0: And I'm sure he was just as proud to have you as his granddaughter because you're incredible and have had a remarkable career as well. I guess the last question I have for you, Lindsay, is you mentioned yogiisms earlier. What do you think is the biggest thing we can learn from Yogi Berra? So the yogiisms,
1: you know, I do think, and it's part of the premise of of the documentary, "It Ain't Over," um, that Grandpa's just outsized personality and these yogiisms really did kind of overshadow his play on the field. And people do remember him more for it ain't over till it's over. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. They remember him more for these crazy sayings than they do for what he did on the field. But I will say what you can learn from the yogisms, because if you're listening and really paying attention, there is so much wisdom and truth in all of those yogisms. Grandpa just had this like, very black and white way of looking at the world there were not a lot of gray areas he i always say he was very able to you know people you say people can't see the forest for the trees grandpa saw all the trees all the the little trees right and i just think that he was able to just cut through the crap really really quickly and and just keep things simple and not overthink things. I think we all get in our own way a lot when we try to overanalyze situations, right? And grandpa was just kind of, he called it like he saw it and he went with his gut and just did the right thing. He was very, you know, very forthright moral compass and, and you know, he was gifted in that way to just be able to find the right path all the time. And I think that's what you, you have to take away from it. Um, keep it simple and and do the right thing.
0: That is a beautiful message. And if we were to do one thing in today's world, it's to do the right thing. I think it's a wonderful thing to be able to find your moral compass. And it sounds like he passed that along. I really appreciate you taking the time, Lindsay. I can't wait for people to see this film. And you have been amazing. So I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. If you just want to hit it again, you guys, it's going to be, it ain't over. It will be in theaters, New York and Los Angeles on May the 12th with more cities coming throughout May and June. So coming soon to a theater near you, please check it out.
0: That's right. Everyone go and see it. Lindsay, thank you. (laughs) All right. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways about Yogi Berra. Number one. Yogi Berra wasn't just a force on the field. He was also a military hero before he was a baseball star. He was a distinguished and decorated member of the U.S. Navy, fighting in D-Day and showing bravery on the battlefield. Number two, Yogi Berra and Jackie Robinson were very close, and Lindsay said Yogi was one of the few players to include Jackie off the field. So that just speaks to Yogi's character one of the many things Yogi did that cements his legacy as not just an elite baseball player, but also as an elite human being. And number three, to quote Lindsay, grandpa didn't have to practice gratitude. His life was gratitude. That shows regardless of how he celebrated on or off the field, he was appreciative for what he had in his life and he always gave back to others. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on Yogi Berra. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.